Section 5 of The End of the Middle Age, 1273-1453, by Eleanor Constance Lodge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 3. French History, 1273-1328, Part 1. When St. Louis lay dying at Tunis in 1270, he begged his son Philip to make his subjects love him. For I would rather a Scotsman came from Scotland and governed the people well and loyally than that you should govern them ill. Philip III, the Bold, as he was called, 1270 to 1285, was a disappointing son of so great a father. He may not have governed ill, but he has left little impress on history. He was handsome, gentle, and pious, but perhaps he had been almost too scrupulously brought up. Every day he had been accustomed as a child to attend long services, to receive constant instruction, to obey and imitate his father in everything. Hence he grew up with very few ideas of his own, ready to submit to any strong will, and apt to fall under the influence of favorites, or of his determined uncle, Charles of Anjou. Nevertheless, the crown achieved something during his reign. The part played by monarchy in France has been a very important one. In old times the country suffered much from its feudal barons, and under the early kings the royal power was little, if at all, superior to that of the great vassals, such as the dukes of Normandy and Aquitaine, the counts of Champagne and of Toulouse. By 1270, much had already been done to remedy this. Philip Augustus and St. Louis had added considerable territory to the crown and had checked the power of the nobles by strengthening royal justice and by sending officials of their own all over France. Every gain to the crown was a blow to the barons and a step toward the formation of a strong central power very necessary in those days of feudal divisions more lands were peacefully acquired by the crown in philip the third's reign he succeeded to large territories on the death of his uncle alfonso of poitiers which gave him poitou toulouse auvergne and part of provence and his son afterwards philip the fourth added fresh gains by his marriage with the little heiress of champagne and navarre the only dangerous vassals of the crown at this time were the Duke of Brittany, the Count of Flanders, and Edward I of England, who was Duke of Guienne. Edward took great interest in his French possessions, and by the Treaty of Amiens secured Saintonge and Angenais, which had been held rather precariously, and through his wife Eleanor of Castile acquired in addition the territory of Ponthieu and Montreuil in the north of France. Philip III died as his father had done on an unsatisfactory expedition, dignified by the name of a crusade. His uncle, Charles of Anjou, just before his death, induced him to undertake a war against Pedro III of Aragon, a personal rival of his own, in the kingdom of Sicily. The Pope, who had also suffered at Pedro's hands, offered the crown of Aragon to a French prince, and Philip, accepting it for his youngest son, Charles of Valois, raised a large force and proclaimed the undertaking as a holy war. 
Spain has often proved fatal to its invaders. The French army was wasted by sickness, and the king himself fell fatally ill. He was carried on a litter amidst pouring rain to Perpignan, where he died in 1285, having lost his life in a useless enterprise, chiefly undertaken to please his overbearing uncle. Philip IV, 1285 to 1314, who succeeded, the fair or the handsome he was called, is known as a person almost as little as his father, although his reign was very much more important. One of his courtiers has indeed left a portrait of him, but so obviously overdrawn that it does not help us much. William de Nogare writes, he was pure-minded, modest in face and speech, never in a passion. He hated no one, but envied no one. He loved the whole world. Full of grace and charity, pious, merciful, always following truth and justice, he never said an evil word of any one. Fervent in faith, religious in his life, building churches, active in good works, beautiful in feature and charming in expression, agreeable to all, even to his enemies. Others speak of him less enthusiastically. The Bishop of Pamiers, who was not likely to be friendly, is reported to have said that the king was like a great horned owl, the finest of birds, but worth nothing at all, the handsomest man in the world, but he can only look at people without speaking. The king is not a beast, but an image. Perhaps the reason that we know so little of Philip himself is that he was so cold and so silent. Great events happened in his reign, and apparently he took part in all, but what he actually said or did we do not know. He may have been a strong man, who went quietly on his way, whatever people thought, or he may have been a tool in the hands of his favorites and ministers, taking no active share in the great church questions, constitutional problems, and political changes of the time. In any case, we know he was handsome, and we rather gather that he was obstinate. The first thing the new king had to do was to get as best he could out of the war with Aragon. This dragged down a little while, but in the end, Charles of Valois gave up his claims and the useless struggle was dropped. The importance of the reign rests chiefly upon three great questions. Philip's policy toward England and Flanders, interesting to us because it tended to create those strained relations which were to lead eventually to the Hundred Years' War, a memorable quarrel between king and pope which brought much humiliation upon the papacy, and a great advance in the French constitution, which makes this reign an important landmark in the formation of the strong monarchical government of France. Never, so long as the English kings clung to their French territories, was there any difficulty in finding causes of quarrel between England and France. Philip adopted a well-known trick in waiting till Edward I was thoroughly occupied at home, and then, summoning him to appear before a court of peers in paris on some question of disputes between norman and gascon sailors the english king had his hands full in wales and scotland and though he sent his brother to represent him his own absence gave the french king the excuse and the opportunity of marching his own troops into guienne and occupying the english possessions Little actual fighting resulted, but the affair is interesting because here France began her constant policy of allying with England's enemy, the Scotch, 
while edward as his successors did later joined hands with flanders this time with count guy of dampierre a vassal and not a very submissive one of the french king peace was finally arranged between the two countries in twelve ninety eight edward with reluctance filled the place of his much-loved queen eleanor by a marriage with philip's sister margaret and his son was betrothed at the same time to the little princess isabella neither party was to help its old allies and the english quarrel gave place to a more exciting conflict between france and flanders left to its fate flanders was soon in the possession of the french count guy and his son were imprisoned in paris and a governor was sent to rule the country in the king's name philip made a triumphant entry into the conquered land accompanied by his wife and the flemings decked in their best made so fine a show before their new lord that queen joan grumbled that she found six hundred queens where she expected to be the only one flanders was rich through her own industry and enterprise and her townsmen were not to be ill-treated with impunity bruges most important of her towns was ordered by the governor to lose its privileges and to have its fortifications pulled down with the result that early one morning while most men were still in bed the artisans rose and fell upon the sleeping french who perished in a massacre so wholesale that the matin of bruges have often been compared to the sicilian vespers indignant france hastened to avenge the outrage the noblest and proudest of french chivalry flocked into flanders to punish the insolent burghers at courtray eleventh july thirteen o two the cavalry of france thought to mow down without trouble the flemish foot-soldiers in ill-considered haste taunting with cowardice those who cautioned prudence they rushed on the enemy to fall pell-mell into an unexpected ditch which stretched in front of the rival army struggling in confusion they fell an easy prey to their despised foe and a proof was given of the triumph of discipline over rashness of an organized army over feudal levies an object lesson which the french would have done well to take more to heart four hundred golden spurs hung up in the cathedral of courtray commemorated the first victory won by townsmen over mounted knights the immediate result was the release of count guy on condition that he should arrange a satisfactory peace but he returned to prison and death rather than allow his people to consent to philip's humiliating terms the following year a second battle at mons en eighteenth of august thirteen o four ended though not without a severe struggle in a victory for the french and finally a peace was made by which france gained lille douay and bethune guy's son robert was however released and recognized as count thirteen o five the struggle had resulted in an arrangement bound to lead to further disputes but it had at least shown what free cities and determined townsmen could do against royal despotism and a feudal army in his disputes with the pope philip was extraordinarily successful france had always been hitherto a firm supporter of the papacy a fact which renders all the more remarkable the history of this quarrel which was to result in a blow to the papal power from which it never completely recovered 
in 1294 the papal throne was filled by boniface the eighth a proud and violent man who had obtained the office after the abdication of his predecessor the sainted celestine v the high ideal of papal importance instilled by gregory the seventh and innocent the third had not yet been forgotten and this in the hands of such a man as boniface meant a claim to interfere in all matters temporal as well as spiritual and was likely to involve him in difficulties with any king who asserted independence even in his own dominions with philip as with edward of england trouble arose on the issue of clerical taxation this had always been a rather delicate matter and the french king had taken advantage of the permission granted by a previous pope to collect money for the aragon crusade to continue after its conclusion a demand for tithes which he now employed for his wars with england and flanders the issue by boniface of the bull claricis laicos twelve ninety six declaring that no clerk was bound to pay taxes levied by a layman unless sanctioned by the pope was a measure to which the king of france was no more ready to submit than the king of england and philip replied by stopping contributions to rome boniface was obliged to give way for the time thanks to being in difficulties on his own account rome at this period was dominated by two very important families the orsini and the colonna and with the latter the pope had contrived to get on very bad terms chiefly because he did not give them the places and the favours which they considered as their due and which boniface showered on his own relatives two of the cardinals who were colonna began openly to question the pope's title and he replied by their deposition and the exile of the leading members of their family this threw them into active opposition and all enemies of boniface found a ready helper in philip of france despite dangers the pope was determined to uphold all his pomp and parade of power in thirteen hundred a grand jubilee was held at rome and pilgrims of all ranks flocked to the city where boniface was to be seen enthroned in state with two swords carried before him as signs that he possessed both spiritual and temporal power he laid down law to kings and peoples and displayed his haughty pride to the full it is even said that he kicked one of the ambassadors of the king of germany in the face as he was stooping down to kiss the mule on which the head of the church was riding such a temper was not likely to pave the way to peace and conciliation and philip's trial of the bishop of pommier who had fallen under grave suspicion of disloyalty was another cause of quarrel between the two the pope claiming to defend his churchman from a layman's vengeance the next bull issued by boniface was like match to tinder the already angry king was told that he need not believe himself to be above papal control for only a fool or an infidel could think thus and then followed a list of royal misdeeds seizure of church property debasement of the coinage and the like with the threat that he was to be summoned before a council of the church to answer for his conduct either on purpose or by accident this bull was burnt and it was a very short and not very exact abstract of the same which philip made public to the people of france to whom doubtless he did not care to offer the whole recital of the not altogether untrue accusations great indignation was excited in france by the publication of this sham bull 
and the states general being summoned thirteen o two representatives that is of nobles clergy and people a joint message of remonstrance was sent to the pope the clergy were afraid to say much and merely begged for unity and friendship but nobles and burghers were hotly on the side of the king and vowed that they would support his independence to the death the pope received the french ambassador at anagni and made fierce reply heaping abuse on the king's minister pierre flotte what god has joined together let not man put asunder these words my brothers relate to the roman church and the kingdom of france man what man i mean this Sakitofel, who counselled absalom against his father david this diabolical man blind of an eye totally blind in brain this man of vinegar and honey this pierre flotte this heretic he shall be punished both spiritually and temporally but pray god the care of his punishment may be reserved to me the prayer of the violent old man was not literally answered for pierre flotte lost his life at the battle of courtrai but this great humiliation coming just at the critical moment gave a momentary triumph to the pope and he published a complete declaration of papal power with the threat of excommunication against all who resisted we announce and affirm that submission to the roman pontiff is a necessity of salvation to every human creature so ended his proclamation philip was quiet for the moment but he was soon to follow the lead of another fresh counsellor far more opposed to the roman see than was pierre flotte a new favourite william of nogaret suggested the bold scheme of summoning boniface himself before a general council as a usurper of the holy office a blasphemer a heretic and an evil-doer of the worst type nogaret's accusations were wilfully exaggerated and worked up for the occasion but it was only too true that boniface was totally unfitted by his ungovernable ambition and violence for the high position in which he was placed and all france was ready to support his deposition possibly nogaret did not dare to await the summons of a general council for which the consent of other countries had also to be obtained in any case he joined hands secretly with the colonna thirteen o three who had troops of men at their command and he and sciarra colonna together led a force into agnani itself invaded the palace where the pope was residing and flew the fleur de lys of france from its roof now boniface showed himself at his best deserted by all the brave old man he was eighty-six years of age waited for his foe arrayed in his robes of state bearing the keys of saint peter and the holy cross betrayed as was jesus i shall die but i shall die pope he is reported to have said and to sciarra who struck him with his iron gauntlet here is my head here is my neck nogaret did not wish him killed and called upon him to thank the kindness of the king of france who protected him from afar through the person of himself his representative thou art one of a family of heretics replied the pope calmly alluding to his descent from the albigenses i expect martyrdom at thy hands for three days boniface remained a prisoner in his palace refusing to eat for fear of poison at the end of that time the mob rose on his behalf 
drove the french from the city and escorted the pope amidst prayers and thanksgivings to his capital but the strain and stress of his capture and his delivery had been too much for so old a man and his mind gave way madly resisting all food and all religious offices boniface died unshriven and unconfessed so fulfilling according to contemporary writers the words of his predecessor thou hast claimed the throne like a fox thou shalt reign like a lion thou shalt die like a dog End of section five.